Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations about food and farming. I'm Jared Lumen, the Soil Health Lead for the Sustainable Farming Association, and today's episode is going to be a little bit unusual. My wife, Valerie, is actually here with me today, and we're going to talk a little bit about our pastured chicken enterprise and specifically some research grants that we got to research feed types and growth rates and stuff on these chickens. So, Valerie, welcome to the Dirt Rich Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always fun to talk to you and stuff. Now we get to do it a little bit uh, <laughs> differently here in a podcast, so it'll be be fun. But for, for the listeners who I maybe haven't talked too much about you or anything, give them a little introduction. Why don't you just tell them about yourself, Valerie? Sure. Well, I am Valerie Lumen. Uh have a background um, growing up on a farm as well in southeastern Minnesota. My family still farms near Wyckoff, and my younger sister is taking over our farm. I always loved agriculture, but also uh, am an extrovert. I've always loved people and found myself in ag communications and marketing in college and have always loved that since. Jared and I got married back in 2018 and shortly after bought the grass-fed cattle company from another couple. And I got to use my ag communications experience to start marketing meat from our farm and a few other farms as well. And then we recently had our first son, Colton, um, and he's a lot of fun and has added a lot of a lot of different things to the mix, but it's been a fun, a fun summer um, raising him and raising lots of chickens too. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned we got married in 2018. I was pretty happy that you were actually uh, somehow got you converted to our crazy ways of farming here at our place with more pasture based than, than row crops, like kind of more that you grew up and stuff, but y- you've really bought in. You-, you seem to enjoy what we do here. Yeah, I love it. I love being out on the pasture and uh, working with the cattle and you guys. I'm feel really blessed to be part of um, our family farm and really consider it my own now. So that's a lot of fun. No, it is fun. And and when I came home from school in 2016 or 15, I kind of started direct marketing a little bit on the side, but it was not really a passion of mine or something that I did a lot of or had the time to devote to and stuff. But you've really taken that on as kind of your thing. And you mentioned Grassfed Cattle Company a little bit, if you want to just briefly talk about what that is and what that meant for you know us and you being able to come home and be a part of the farm. Sure. Yeah. We purchased Grassfed Cattle Company in 2019 and another couple had started it just wanting to give people in the Twin Cities access to local meat. And we purchased their customer list, their website, all that good stuff and kind of made it our own. And we direct market meat from our farm and then a few others. Um, We do grass-fed and finished beef, uh, pasture pork, and then pasture chicken from our farm as well. So I just do most everything from inventory to managing the website to social media, all of that good stuff. Um, But it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy getting to talk to the customers that are eating the meat we work so hard to raise on our farm. So yeah, that's a bit of an overview. Anything to add, Jared? No. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's really cool. It's fun to be able to, you know, connect directly with the people who are eating what you're raising. I mean, so often in agriculture, we know we're producing food. We talk about how we're feeding the country and the world and stuff, but how often do you get to hand a box of meat in our our case anyway, you know, that we raised and we produced directly to the person who's going to, you know, put it on their dinner plate tonight. There's some pretty awesome stories we've heard from customers too, and uh, you know, about how much they love what we eat and how much the food has you know, made a difference in their lives that it, it, it's really, you know, really quite rewarding. Yeah, very rewarding. And another great thing is just that customers can ask us for what they want. And that's one of the biggest reasons we started with pastured chicken is because customers 
in the first survey we sent out, right when we purchased the business, they said, add chicken. Mm-hmm. We want pasture chicken. So we, <laughs> well, you, I was still working full time. You kind of scrambled together and put together some Salatin style chicken tractors and we started our first batch. Mm-hmm. But it's been a great enterprise since, is this year three? This would be year three. Yeah. Yeah. This would be year three of raising chickens now. And yeah, you're right. We, <laughs> We built those Solitan style chicken tractors, just like got a little design off of Google. I think I found it and then ordered his book, which I'm actually using to hold my mic up right now as we record the pastured poultry profit and just kind of got started raising with two of those, raising a batch of 200 chickens at a time and the customers loved it. Yeah, they did. That's a That was a great book. I um, haven't read or looked back at it a whole lot since, but it's a it was really good when we first started. Yeah, since mm-hmm. then, I guess... To fill you in, um, some of our customers started asking for corn and soy free chicken, and we were pretty hesitant to start raising it ourselves just because of the investment and weren't sure how they grow, you know, what it would be like. So we um, started looking around and Jared saw some different grants we could get, and we decided to give it a try and do a research grant around raising corn and soy free chickens and just figuring out how they're different than the corn and soy chickens. Yeah. And I butchered the names of them earlier. Maybe you, you remember the, the names of the grants that we kind of used to, to start doing this? Yeah. The two grants are specifically the Agricultural Growth Research and Innovation. So Agri Sustainable Agriculture Demonstration Grant, which is a really long name, but it's through the Minnesota Department of Ag and then also the SARE grant. So the Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Grant. Yeah. And like you kind of mentioned, we we weren't sure how much this would cost, kind of what we would do. And, and we wanted to you know do it. We wanted to try it. We had customers demanding it. It's kind of it's kind of cool, actually, like I talked about how we can have this direct connection with our customers and how rewarding that is. It's also educational, informational. I mean, we've had customers talk about how eating a certain product grass-based and, and having no grain in their diets or something has you know, completely changed their ability to even eat something. And, and so when we had you know, several, started having a couple, five, ten people asking for this corn and soy free chickens. We thought, you know, we maybe should look a little more seriously into this, but like you kind of alluded to, we didn't know how much it would cost or, or anything. So the grant helped assist us in, in doing that. And, and also we wanted to upgrade those facilities. <laughs> like we talked about, we started with our little chicken tractors, the Solitan style chicken tractors, and you did a lot of that work with them. Those were kind of a struggle for you, weren't they? <laughs> they just fell apart. The the hinges were probably put in a bad spot, um, but uh, they worked. They worked well, and they were relatively cheap to put together. So it it was a good starting point. I'm really glad we started with a smaller batch than 600, like we had this year. Um, that would have been overwhelming. So I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad we did it. But this was definitely an upgrade. As we started to have more more people wanting chickens and demanding more chickens, we knew we had to somehow scale scale it up a little bit, raising little batches of 200 chickens at a time. And with this big, heavy thing that probably could have been done a little better, but I was cheap and didn't. we had some steel sitting around. So we used that to roof it instead of aluminum like he recommends, but I couldn't find it anywhere. So it was a little heavy, uh, hard to pull around. And and we had to, you know, fill waters by hand every day and stuff. But it was a, it was a great starting point to raise a couple hundred chickens a year. But we also wanted this grant to kind of help us, you know, invest in some upgraded equipment. I think was a big part of it as well. Yeah, and just to fill those people in that maybe haven't seen anything about our grant, part of the grant funded a 
Cobb Creek Mobile Chicken Coop, which is essentially a high tunnel on metal skids that, you know, we put wire along the side and then um, has tarps that roll up and down on the sides. We can fit a full batch of 600, uh, but it worked really well. We can move the whole coop forward a full space on the pasture and move it in a lot less time. There's automatic waters, automatic feeders, and yeah, they worked great. Once we got them set up, it was a little bit to put together. Um, and by a little bit, I mean like a couple weeks of work um, for us figuring out the first time, but we did it and it, it has worked really well for us um, this last year. No, it's fantastic. I mean, with the, the Soliton style chicken tractors, we moved the two how the two little chicken coops that had a hundred each, so about 200 birds, we moved, fed and watered them in probably, oh, roughly 30 minutes. And we had to feed the, fill the feeders and, and water sometimes as many times as twice a day, especially as they got bigger. And so it was a lot of labor, you know, 30 minutes to an hour to, to move 200 chickens every day. Um, where this thing we can, like, it's like Val mentioned, it's plumbed into our water lines that we had for our cattle already. So there's automatic bell waters that we don't have to deal with filling water tanks. And the the feeders are big bulk feeders kind of that have just kind of gravity fill. So we fill them at the beginning, maybe once every couple days and, and towards the end once a day, and, and they have enough feed to last them for the whole day. So we're moving 600 chickens now in the time, you know, in less time than we were moving 200 before. And that is so much improved our lifestyle with the chicken enterprise. And, and it's kind of given a little bit of hope, you know, too, is like to the future of this enterprise. I know Joel Soliton talks about, I think they raise like 30 or 40,000 chickens a year in their little Soliton style chicken tractors. I don't know how he does that. That has to take so much manpower and labor, not to mention back power. I mean, you got to pick up the front of those and pull them every day. And he's got, you know, hundreds of these. This has simplified how we raise chickens a ton and really made it more efficient so that we could actually look at potentially scaling this enterprise. I wanted to mention quick too that we have to start them obviously in a brooder for the first two weeks while they're really little and need heat lamps. Um, and we did upgrade our drinkers to automatic uh, drinkers as well in there and then the feeders in there as well. So that was a, an upgrade through this grant as well. And I guess before we even get into the grant a little bit more, what are some of the benefits that we've seen in the chickens? Sure. Yeah. Some of the advantages of raising pasture chicken is some Decent profit potential on a pretty small land base this year. I think we figure about two acres. Um, that's a pretty small area to raise that many chickens in um, this past year. And we we cannot say enough about the impact on soil health. Keeping them moving every day has a huge impact on the land. I would say just a few days later, we can start to see the grass just looks different. It starts growing, um, breaking down that chicken manure and turning it into some really great fertilizer for the soil. We go back to that area we had the chickens in this year, and actually the cattle grazed it a couple of times as well. But you can see a direct mm -hmm. line where that hoop house was, and the green grass, even this year with the drought, was just greener, just looks so much healthier than the, the stuff right next to it that wasn't grazed. And then just mm -hmm. another quick benefit, at least for our family, is that I can do a lot of this work myself, even moving the chickens, I can do do myself with Colton, um, which has been a benefit when um, there's lots of other things to do with the cattle and the farm. And Jared has his job here with the Sustainable Farming Association too. And just to kind of expand a little bit more on, on some of those, like the profit potential for farmers out there 
listening to this who might be kind of a beginning farmer and, and want or wanting to come home and, and be a part of the family farm. A lot of times, if you look at beef cattle anyway, you know, to make a living on beef cattle, you might need hundred or hundreds of beef cows, you know, on hundreds, if not thousands of acres. I kind of grew up being told you need a thousand acres per full-time family member to farm full-time and a commodity system. But with this, you know, if you're willing to put a little more effort into direct marketing and do something a little bit differently, you know, a different, I mean, it is different. We had plenty of neighbors art, you know, it actually worked out that we had this hoop house right along the road. And so there were sometimes Val, I, I think was out there doing chores and people would stop and look at you. I mean, it's different. It's weird, but the potential to make profit on, you know, just a couple of acres, you know, a person can do this on, you know, f- could make a full-time living wage if you had built the market enough, you know, on, on, uh, Know, five acres or 10 acres. We're nowhere near this number yet, but kind of the the number we see of, you know, if we could wholesale birds, get some wholesale markets, restaurants, grocery stores, and make four to five dollars per bird in in net profit and raise 10,000 birds on a five acres or so. That's just like four of these hoop houses that we've got that we could feed, you know, that's a full-time salary there for two hours a day, five months a year. You know, the profit potential is is exciting, you know, and, and this hoop house specifically has, you know, allowed us to dream a little bit more about scaling this with you know, manual labor and the kind of labor that we have. And so it, it can be an opportunity for people to you know, bring something home to the farm and add an enterprise with relatively low, low overhead and, and kind of get started at home on a farm that may not otherwise be able to sustain an additional family member. Yeah. So, so it was, you know, it's exciting the the opportunity with it, but um, that's enough about, I guess, our farm and and how we're raising chickens and the, the grant. I don't know if we want to get into the grant a little bit, Val, and maybe talk about what the initial idea was when you were starting to kind of design a grant project, research project in your head. Yeah. The idea was to just evaluate the differences between feeding corn and soy-based feed that we have been feeding for the two years previously compared to corn and soy free feed. And so we wanted to make sure we were evaluating um, some production differences, such as growth rates, mortality, and then just some observations as well. And then also doing some nutritional testing on the chicken after it was butchered. So seeing if it actually made a difference having those different feed types, um, we wanted to be able to report that not only to other farmers looking to raise corn and soy free chickens, but also to our customers that were paying a premium to have that corn and soy free fed chicken. No, that's that's a good point. Is is like this the idea kind of behind this grant too was to serve multiple people. Uh, we were looking when we wanted to start raising corn and soy, you know, free chickens, and couldn't find any information out there on how you know what what to expect, how much do we need to buy as far as feed and things. And so we wanted to serve the farmers who might be interested in doing this for their own customers, and we also want to have something you know for our customers to say, hey, this is significantly more expensive, but here's the potential value. If there is any, we, we wanted to figure that out. And so, yeah, that's a, a good point. A few just uh, mm-hmm. little details about that. We got non-GMO corn and soy feed from Nurse Strand Egg, and that we had fed for the previous two years as well. And then for the corn and soy feed, we get that feed from Highview down in Mabel, Minnesota. Kit has been super helpful in helping me understand everything. I won't pretend to be an expert by any means, uh, but if you are looking to raise corn and soy free chickens, she was pretty helpful with the the feed as well. Maybe you want to give a little bit of a uh, kind of overview of how we actually set up the project as far as the different groups and batches and everything that we that we put together. Yeah. So we had three batches of chickens we raised throughout the summer. Each batch had 600 chickens and we split 
each of those batches into four groups. And groups one and four in each batch were fed corn and soy feed. And groups two and three were fed corn and soy free feed. That was supposed to be the only variable in the experiment. However, uh, (laughs) things didn't exactly go as planned. After probably two or three weeks, we knew, man, these corn and soy free chickens are going to take quite a bit longer before they get to be big enough for us to take to butcher. We could just see, I would say the corn and soy chickens were probably double their size by two to three weeks. And we can talk more about some of the observations afterwards, but we had to make some changes in some of the other variables and had to keep the corn and soy free chickens a little longer. So um, some of the results that we found they're still good results and they're still helpful, I think, for farmers, but it wasn't quite as crystal clear as what we had hoped since we weren't able to keep the length of which we raised the chickens the same. And just to give a little more kind of clarity on that, like we we planned to raise them all for 48 days. That's kind of what our history had been raising the pastured chickens with corn and soy feed as we thought we needed around 48 days to get them to a, a, si- you know, a size that was acceptable. So we set butcher dates for 48 days for everything. And like she mentioned, we realized pretty quickly how that was going to be wrong. And the problem that we ran into when we tried bumping the processing date back was the processor was pretty well packed full. And so we had a challenge to try and we had to work around their schedule when we could get the chickens in. And so the first batch of chickens, the corn and soy free chickens were actually on the farm for 70 days. The second batch were on the farm for 55 days and the third batch were on the farm for 64 days. And that's just when they could get us in. And so that's kind of the main variable that that changed as far as length of time on feed and length of time on the farm. So yeah, I guess, do you want to start to get into some of the other things that we observed and the results that we found? Sure. Yeah. The, the growth rates, first of all, obviously we saw some pretty big differences. Overall, we found that the corn and soy free chickens ate 5.2 pounds more per bird average. Um, Obviously, that's going to be different because they were raised three different lengths of time. But they did consume Mm -hmm. more feed um, to get to their butcher weight. The corn and soy chickens averaged 5.4 pounds after butchering, whereas the corn and soy free chickens averaged 4.9 pounds after butchering. So half a pound lighter even as they were raised for a minimum of one week longer and upwards of what would that be like three weeks longer? Yeah. Over three weeks. The the longest group was three weeks longer and still the average of those chickens was half a pound lighter. Wow. Yeah. I was just going to mention that is an average too. And the, that first group that was Mm -hmm. raised for 70 days, they were some large chickens uh, for the corn and soy free groups, but the average, yeah, was, was, quite a bit smaller just because they did grow so much slower. Um, And then just some observations as well. Their feather growth was pretty slow compared to the corn and soy free chickens. They were not the prettiest birds. They didn't look um, all that healthy just Mm because their feathers didn't grow as quickly, um, which we think was due to something something missing or just different in the feed. Uh, We haven't pinpointed that yet. But the other interesting thing was just the vigor of those corn and soy free chickens. They were a lot more interested in bugs I think just observing them, they eat a lot more pasture and they were a lot quicker to move just because they're so much smaller than the corn and soy based chickens in that group, groups one and four. I don't know if that was something to do, yeah, with like the slower, longer, slower growth that they just were, their bodies were growing at the rate they kind of could keep up with, you know, I I know it's funny. I, I, you know, I even 
my myself and my brothers are all somewhat tall and we all went through a growth spurt uh, <laughs> in high school we all had bad knee and back problems because the doc the doctors said our bodies were growing faster than our joints could keep up and i wonder if there's something to that almost with the chickens and stuff where they grow so fast that they're not even like that's not almost normal and so these chickens that were a little slower growing did seem to be more active and more you know visibly running around and everything and stuff which was kind of cool to see yeah and i would say the 64 day batch was our third batch and those ones had some really good weights and i would say that would be a good mm-hmm. time frame to shoot for if you are going to raise corn and soy free chickens i would say is that anywhere between that 55 and 64 day range the 70 day chickens were definitely very large no that's true kind of getting into the mortality side of it then we saw quite a bit higher obviously death loss uh, mortality rate with the corn and soy free ones is there anything you want to talk about with as far as the the mortality side yeah i think just overall every batch of corn and soy free chickens had higher mortality than the corn and soy chickens group one we found out shortly after the chickens got to the farm and started dying much quicker than we'd ever seen with our past chickens Um, we found out that the hatchery had just some sickness issues going through there and and we didn't receive the healthiest chickens with that being said the corn and soy chickens definitely did better with whatever they had than our corn and soy free ones i think there's just something um, missing or or the balance was a little off in in whatever feed that they were getting and the corn and soy ones seemed to bounce back quicker than the the corn and soy free groups yeah it was just overall you could see that the corn and soy free chickens were being almost held back and yeah not recovering as quickly something maybe to do with that feed type for sure is, is what we assumed but yeah like you mentioned throughout all the three batches of chickens that we brought in the death loss was higher on the corn and soy free so you know something to consider for farmers wanting to get into this is that you're going to lose more chickens on this feed type and that needs to be worked into your cost and your your price that you're charging for your pasture chickens And I thought I'd mention we do have a helpful graph with the days the chickens were fed and also the average weight of the chickens for each group in each batch. So we'll attach that in the show notes, but that's helpful to look at if you're if you're wanting to raise uh, chickens just to see the, the size differences that we found. Yeah, I would encourage everybody to go check out this. You know, if you're interested in doing this, check out the research grant. They'll be listed on the SARE and MDA website and the Green Book and stuff. But the, yeah, that graph kind of helps a few things. Um, we apologize, our you know, if, our, if you can hear our kid in the background who's kind of uh, making some noises and talking, he wants to participate in the podcast as well. But uh, that's that's great, and we will see if we can get that in the show notes for sure. The last kind of well, those are the kind of first two. The major parts for more of the farmer um, that we wanted to do in this research study was like the growth rates and and kind of actually how fast can they grow and and what kind of timeline do you need to raise a you know an adequate sized bird and and the other one was the mortality rates and kind of the health of of the chickens the last thing is kind of that piece we wanted for our consumers and and that's that nutritional testing And, and i'll preface this just by saying that we are not you know nutritionists or anything and don't have complete understanding of all of this but we're working with somebody who has a little bit better understanding of, of how these nutritional things work and, and we're kind of working with them and, and the final information we'll, we'll put in that report for sure but val do you want to summarize anything that we kind of know that she's kind of helped us find out at this point yeah we are working with dr noel she's a professor at the university of minnesota and definitely understands all of this way better than i do but she kind of expected that the flaxseed 
meal and oil would impact the omega-3 fatty acids with the goal being to increase the levels of the omega-3 fatty acids in the meat. She also thought that just the chickens being on pasture alone, the omega-3 fatty acids would be impacted. So I guess, Jared, overall, the two big things we found were the ALA, the alpha-lineolaic acids, um, quadrupled in the corn and soy-free batches from 0.128%. Uh, versus 0.03% in the corn and soy groups. The vitamin E was the other thing that was significantly higher in the corn and soy free groups, but the cause of this is sort of unknown. It could possibly be attributed to the formulation of the feed having higher vitamin E levels in the corn and soy free feed. Yeah, we weren't able to to get the you know the full formulation of the feed. It's kind of proprietary information and uh, of the, the the feed mill that's that's putting it together and stuff. But that's kind of something that our, our professor <laughs> that we're working with kind of assumed or is is making uh, thinking that may have contributed to that higher vitamin E levels. But yeah, those are kind of the two ones that stood out from at the start. Uh, there's a lot of information that we're still weeding through. And actually, we're meeting again with our professor on this nutritional side here tomorrow and stuff. So uh, to kind of get some more finalized information. So we won't have all of that information up front. And that's why I guess, again, I'd recommend you take a look at the research, you know, the study at the end, the report at the end, uh, to get more of that nutritional side of the information. We're hoping to find some, uh, you know, some more, but Overall, it seemed like there maybe wasn't that many huge changes based on the feed type alone and the the actual nutritional differences. That being said, though, you know, and this is all anecdotal experiences, we've had several customers who have given some pretty telling stories of experiences that they have when they eat some sort of meat product that has been fed a grain, a corn and soy primarily versus meat that has not been fed those grains. And so we don't really know all of the different benefits and things that will come between the two. And some of that might be individually based, but you know, this is a start and that was kind of part of what we wanted to get out of this, this project. But um, overall, I think there's some high level recommendations that we wanted to give to to people who might be considering raising corn and soy free chickens for their customers. And, and Val, I don't know if you want to share a, a couple of those right off the bat. I would say, first of all, having a newborn that is days old while doing chicken chores is not the easiest. Um, (laughs) Some of the actual recommendations, though, for someone who does want to scale a pasture chicken enterprise, the mobile range coop saved us a lot of time. We figured that the corn and soy free chickens took us about 50 extra hours to raise and uh, just Again, give yourself a little more time when you're scheduling your butcher dates if you are going to use corn and soy free feed. Before we cruise through these, um, even like on that mobile range coop and and more savings, that has to be, you know, kind of balanced with your goals for your business, uh, recognizing that there was a pretty steep investment in that. Um, We didn't pay quite this, but I was looking at the pricing kind of of these things the other day. um, And the the cost of this hoop house and other materials we needed has gone up a lot. And it's going to cost you roughly $10,000 to buy one of these hoop houses. And so Yes, it, it offers a lot of convenience and reduces labor costs, but there's a pretty high overhead and upfront investment cost to go down the route of that. So that should be weighed against your goals for your your farm. Is that some, if, if something you want to do is to grow and expand it, then then this may be a, an important part of that. But if, if your goal is just to raise a few for you and your family or maybe some you know, friends or a small customer base, or just to get started and kind of figure it out, uh, it's, you know, maybe is not worth that extra investment into the, the infrastructure up front. 
And then, yeah, on the time thing, I think what you had mentioned earlier, Val, was kind of the, the group that was 64 days was a pretty ideal weight. But it also, again, depends on the weight you want. You can take a look at that chart that we're going to list in the show notes and kind of see the different weights based on the different days they were they were on feed and kind of determine, you know, if you want that three and a half to four pounders, maybe that 55 to 60 day range is longer. If you're wanting bigger birds, that 64 to 70 day range is, is going to be more important. So a lot of this comes down to what are your goals and, and then, you know, kind of working back from there. Another quick note I had discussed with Kit from Highview is that we could potentially look at starting the chickens on corn and soy base starter and then switching them to a corn and soy free grower. Um, they seem to grow better once they started on the grower um, between two and three weeks. So just another consideration. And I think she'd be happy to talk through it if you ever wanted to give her a call as well. One of the other recommendations we wish we would have done is to take pre-orders with a small deposit or even just survey our customers, um, sending out to a full customer list ahead of time to really know the demand we had. I think jumping into it, we did have a, a lot of people reach out about corn and soy free chickens, but we never asked them to commit to buying them um, before we started raising them. So uh, just overall, I mean, that's a great practice to have. And we, we do that some with our beef and pork. Yeah. When you include all of the extra costs that go into it, the feed costs alone, I think were 30% more expensive just for the different feed type and the higher mortality rate and needing an extra you know, 50 hours to feed another, you know, the batch of corn and soy free chickens, all of that expense you know, that adds up to a much more expensive chicken. And so knowing your customer's demand up front, you know, are they willing to pay <laughs> what you need to make it work? And if they are, you just, you get pre-orders and, and, and yeah, pre-sell those chickens um, with a slight deposit so that you know you have a market for them because we, we, <laughs> we are sitting with quite a few extra corn and soy free chickens that just due to the fact that they're, a lot of our customers aren't willing or able to to pay the cost that they actually require. And now, fortunately, this is part of the advantage of going through a grant is that some of those costs were offset by grant funding and stuff. But it's just something to, to consider and be careful about before you jump in all in with this. The last recommendation we have is just to stack enterprises, if at all possible. We graze the cattle at least two times where we had the chickens, obviously letting the grass grow back fully before grazing the cattle there. Um, and Really, we saw some awesome results with the pasture growth after grazing our chickens in that area. Fine, and that's that's a that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we have limited resources, and a lot of times, the limiting factor in our farms is our land base. We can always go get more chickens or more cattle or more equipment or whatever, but you know, we're fairly limited on how many acres we can have, and so every time that you can u- further utilize the same acre base, stack another enterprise on top of. Uh, land and this chicken they really didn't affect much uh, as far as the grazable forage for cattle if anything you know probably yeah it, we maybe had to skip a rotation um, on one you know acre while it, where the chickens were but the increased production that the chickens gave for the next rotation because of that fertility added probably made up for what they they lost on the first rotation so you're really not giving up anything as as far as feed production um, but no this is great and Val I, I just wanted to well, thank you, first of all. Uh, I appreciate it. It's been fun raising chickens with you. <laughs> I enjoy it. It's been a challenge this year, obviously, with a newborn and stuff too, but we figured it out and it's been a lot of fun. But overall, what are your thoughts? You, you've been pretty happy with the chicken the chicken enterprise. You, you're still wanting to raise chickens. You're glad we, we, we did it? Yes. Yeah. Back at you. Um, appreciate all the, the help. We, we uh, really 
had a fun time this summer um, balancing it with um, our first son. And, you know, it was a it was a good adventure together for sure. Yeah, no, we are excited about our pasture chicken enterprise and just the potential of working with some different restaurants and breweries and continuing to sell to our other customers at Grassfed Cattle Company too. So I think it's great chicken. We we love eating it. We have a little bit left of a whole chicken that we made in the slow cooker in the fridge right now. And um, it's always tasty. So I'm happy we did it. I'm happy to be here sharing our results from our research. And we do have some other um, data too. If anyone is interested, feel free to reach out to us and we'll do our best to answer questions. But like you said, we'll link the websites for where the reports will be here in the show notes. Um, they won't be published for a little bit because they are due um, pretty soon here. But um, once they are published, they'll be on those websites. No, that sounds great. And I appreciate you coming on. You, you mentioned that people can reach out. Where can people learn more about you know what we're doing, what, you, what you're doing? And then maybe share if you, if you have any, what are some resources that you'd recommend some people check out as well? Yeah, you can find Grassfed Cattle Company on Instagram and Facebook. It's just Grassfed Cattle Co., and then some other resources I would recommend, um, APA, the American Pasture Poultry Producers Association, has some great resources, uh, both on the production side, but also the nutritional side of pastured chicken in particular. Um, and then, like we mentioned, Pastured Poultry Profits by Joel Salatin is a great one as well. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture, done well, heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.